I'm excited. It's Easter. Happy Easter. When I was a kid growing up, we would always uh, walk in and say, he is risen. And he is risen indeed. That is right. He is risen indeed. You know, something about Easter, we've been talking about it for weeks. And we've been calling it like the Christian Super Bowl because Easter validates everything Jesus said. Now, a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of good teachers in the world, religious teachers. There's good wisdom that you can find in, in really any religion. You can find wisdom in, in non-religious people. That's not the point. The difference is that Jesus actually predicted his death and then his resurrection, and then he fulfilled that. He rose from the dead. That changes everything. He conquered death in the grave. It made all of it real. And it's more than that. What's really incredible is what he did when he did that is he literally reversed the curse. You want to say that together? I'm not a fan when pastors do that, but let's do that. Reversed the curse. Do you realize what he did? In him dying and then rising from the dead, he completely reversed everything that had happened there. The way it works is God wanted a relationship with us, but he wanted a true relationship. He didn't want a coerced relationship. He didn't want to force it. He didn't want to use power to make a relationship happen. So what he did is he gave each human being choice, free will. In a sense, he gave some of his power to us to make decisions. But in doing that, inherent in that choice is also the choice to not make good decisions. And when we don't make good decisions, those consequences, unfortunately, are, are not just on us, but they, they, they tr- trickle out to everybody. If you think about a pond and you know how it is you throw, maybe it looks like glass on top and you throw a rock in and you have all those ripples that go out. And then imagine every single of those ripples are really decisions that are made and then consequences. And then in reality, the whole world is like throwing a handful of pebbles in. It's almost impossible to see how all those interactions happen. And what ends up happening is when, when our first, our parents, Adam and Eve, when they made that decision to sin, that sin just created that ripple effect that spread into everybody. That curse is everywhere. We see it in death and sickness. We see it in conflict and broken trust. We see it in suspicion between people and envy. And we see it in hatred and sexism and racism, the things that drive people apart. What Jesus did in dying and then resurrecting from the dead is he reversed that curse. Even going back to the garden itself, it's so sad as you read that story in Genesis and right in chapter 3 where Adam and Eve, they realize that they're naked. And before that, they had full, complete trust with one another. Now they felt the need to hide and lie and throw each other under the bus. And we see that effect all over the place. And then you see the first murder happen between Cain and Abel breaks your heart to see how quickly that spreads. But Jesus, in dying, he reverses the curse. What we're going to do this morning is go through a bunch of those reverses of curse that he did, and we hopefully will celebrate each and every one of those today. The first thing that I wanted to point out is he breaks down the dividing wall between the races. Now, I know some of you have been to Israel before. It's, a, it's an amazing place. I mean, I've read about it. I've seen pictures. One of the things that existed in Jesus' day that that is hard for us maybe to even understand, there was this huge division between the races, and it was even even put into the temple grounds themselves. There was this wall, it was about a three, four-foot wall that separated out, and if you were not an ethnic Jew, even though you might have converted to Judaism, you could not pass that point. You were separated by ethnicity. It was more than that. 
They also made the women stay behind that wall. So when we look at the book of Ephesians, we see what one of the things Jesus did to reverse that curse. Let's look at this really quick. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. And he's not talking about the absence of war here. What he's talking about is the absence of strife between us and God, peace, unity with God. He united Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, into one people. When he, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He's referring to that physical wall. He did this by ending the system of law and commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward one another was put to death. Why? Because every single one of us are created in the image of God. Each and every one of us has the intrinsic dignity and worth that is God's creation in each of us. That's who he is. It's all of us. We're equal at the foot of the cross. I've heard it say this way, that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's the only place where we all come, where we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. And we also now have all access and all are forgiven. Everything is changed. In Galatians 3.28, the Apostle Paul says, There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. It covers really all issues there. It covers the ethnic issue with the Jew and Gentile. It covers the the, uh, gender issue with male and female. It also covers class differences. Maybe you're not aware of this. But Christianity has spread traditionally in in people who who were marginalized by society and put away. Have you ever wondered why that is? Because it seems like those who are in charge or those who are in places of power, they get to a place where they feel like maybe they don't need redemption or they can solve everything for themselves or maybe their money can be their savior. But the fact is, none of those things will save our souls. None of those things. Christ did that. And he did all of that on the cross. That's why all through history, Christianity has led in equality and abolition of slavery and right to life and orphans and widows and taking care of homeless. That's how it works. But it doesn't end there. He also wanted to reverse our identity crisis. Maybe you never thought about this, but humanity's had an identity crisis really since the garden. We've strove and strived just to to make it on our own and to somehow create our own laws or to justify ourselves some way that we could be good enough. And the fact is we would never, ever, and couldn't possibly achieve that. It's sad, again, when that Genesis story in chapter 3, verse 8 It says that Adam and Eve are in the garden. God comes walking in the garden. And you see that picture and you think about how God intended our relationship with him to be. A relationship where we were friends and we would talk. And it says that God calls out and he calls, where are you, Adam? Adam comes out and he says, why were you hiding? And we still hide today. We still have that identity crisis where we hide from him. We want to try to make it on our own and make ourselves good enough, but we would never, ever, could never be good enough. And what God wants to do and what he did with Christ's death and resurrection is he restores that relationship, that place of personal friendship, relationship with God. I think a lot of times, I'm reminded at times, you know, and maybe you've experienced this with your daughters or your wife or somebody in your family, maybe a guy, but... They don't, they don't feel like they look good or good enough. And maybe you've had this thought. Maybe you've said these words. If you could see what I see. Have you ever thought that thought? Because a lot of times they can't. We don't see ourselves the way we should see it. 
But if you would change that and put it like this, what if you could see yourself the way God sees you? How do you think he sees you? Now, those of us who are parents, you know how it is when your child makes a mistake and does something wrong. Do you love them less? Do you want them to be better? Does it break your heart? Well, think of God in that way. He loves every one of his children. All of us who are in this room, everybody who's within the sound of our voice, anybody watching online, every single person he's created, his love for them never changes. He died for them just like he died for us. And his heart breaks when they do things that damage their lives and bring sin and destruction into their relationships. Every single one of those things he died for. He wanted to reverse that curse of identity. He wants to know them to know that they're precious and valuable. And as C.S. Lewis said, if we were the only ones on earth, he would have died for us just to restore that relationship. I think of it like this. He loves us so much that he accepts us how we are, but then he loves us too much to leave us how we are. We got a dog. I don't remember where we got this dog, Nicole, but it was this little dog, and it, it, she, it looked kind of like a, like a kind of a brownish white dog. And we got it home. I don't remember if we got it at the pound or we got it from somebody on Craigslist. I don't remember, but... We got her home, we realized, oh my goodness, there's things crawling all over it. And we were kind of freaked out. And we, we put that little puppy, this little tiny dog, we put it in, in the sink with some Dawn dishwashing liquid, and you saw all the fleas come off. And it was restored. It was, it was actually a white dog that we didn't know. You know what I think about? So many of us, we're covered with sin and we don't know. And God loves us. We loved the dog when we brought it home. But we weren't going to leave it like that. Why would we leave it like that? Being tortured in a way that it couldn't even, it couldn't even express to us. I mean, it, it couldn't even tell us how, how tortured it was. And all those little fleas on there, biting it, sucking its life away. And it was uncomfortable and it was, it was in, in pain. And we didn't know. But we couldn't leave it like that. We loved it too much for that. We live in a world today where it says, no, you need to accept me how I am and celebrate the things inside me and the things I'm doing that are destructive and destroying me. And we look at them, yes, we love you, and God loves them, but he loves them too much to leave them like that. He restores them and he takes all of that away. Why did God do it this way? I wonder sometimes, and I, I've expressed this so many times, because in our humanness, you know, we think if God's going to come, he's going to come in such a way that, that's going to be blazing light and, you know, lightning bolts, and he's going to just make everybody bow. Instead, what does he do? He comes in the humility. It's so different than humanity. He comes in the humility and the weakness and, the, and the, just the, the desperateness of a little baby. He comes to us like that, and he restores us. And he comes as a man, God, God loving us so much that he came to us. Of course, in the Old Testament, he sent prophets and judges, and he sent all of those ways, but that wasn't enough. Instead, he needed to send his son to show us the way, to demonstrate what a sinless life would be, and then for him himself to pay the price of our sin. He reverses the curse of the slavery to sin. Even writing that today, I almost rewrote it because it sounds so brutal. And it uses words which make us super uncomfortable in our world today. But it's true. All of us have been in bondage to sin. If we're honest, we'll look at it and we realize that sin is an enticement. And at first it looks so good, doesn't it? It tastes good. It's fun. It looks harmless. And we flirt with it. And then 
after a while, we don't even realize it, but we want it. And then we become blind to it. Others might see it in us, but we are blind to it. And then we can't even see the destruction that it's doing. And sometimes it's under the surface and it's destroying our heart or our values or our morals or it's destroying us from inside. And then we begin to make excuses for it. Then we defend it. Then we own it. And the lie is that it really owns us. And we don't even see it creeping up. I've heard these quotes and they're, they're just well written. I'm just going to read them to you. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Another version of that. Sin promises more than it can deliver, and it assures us of pleasures that it will never impart. And sometimes it does deliver some, but then it conceals the boomerang effect that surely comes. It obscures its addictive power invariably leading us beyond our limits. At first, sin is a specific sin, and then we're under delusion, and it leads us step by step until we're enslaved. It deludes us with a hope of happiness, maybe like a gambler who feels that pain when he loses everything, or the drunkard that's burdened with the death caused by a drunk driving accident, or somebody who's fornicating and then discovers they've got a disease or an adulterer who's ruined their life and their family. But it doesn't end there because Christ's death and resurrection reverses the curse. He reverses that hold of sin. In Romans chapter 8, Paul has this master work on what it means to be Christian and what it means to, to, to pay the price and the sacrifice. In chapter 8, it's the hinge point of the entire book. He says, so there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. That is the reversing the curse. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power that sin, of sin that leads to death. And the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And he did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. We who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things and our thoughts, our actions follow our thoughts. But those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that are please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile toward God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. <laughs> That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But if you are not controlled by your sinful nature, you're controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God leading you living in you. And remember that those do not have the spirit of Christ living there do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you so that even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. Here's the big reverse of the curse. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. He helps us live the life he wants us to live. When he reverses the curse, he doesn't say, go ahead and do it on your own. He says, now my spirit will live in you and help create and make in you something different. The truth is you can choose to accept that or you can choose to fight against that and do it your own way. 
I'm always reminded of Frank Sinatra singing, I did it my own way. We're all bent towards sin. You realize that, right? And it's different for each of us. That's why it's so dangerous for us to, to judge one another because we're not all... We're not all bent toward the same, uh, the same things. It's just not, it's different for everybody. And some people will say, well, God made me this way. It's, and it it's becomes an excuse, like, I can't help it. I'm, I have to do this. Well, that's maybe true for, you know, our pets. I mean, they live on instinct, but humans choose. When I hear somebody say, boys will be boys, well, actually, they can choose differently. It's not like that. Every faithful married person knows that we have desires, but we control those things. The fact is, God has made us in a way that we can choose to be different. If you give into those things, I mean, you take selfishness, and what does that do? It grows into me first and then not caring for other people and taking advantage. If you think about what it means, greed, we want more. We are ungrateful for what we have. We want insatiably hunger for more and more. If you give into anger, what happens? Then you have, you have violence and you have revenge and you have hate. If you give in to, to the sexualized world that we live in, I mean, people are drawn to sin all the time. The truth is, though, we can be free. And when I think about those things, I think about how does that happen? It's because the good and Good Friday. You know, the world is always asking, what's so good about it? Well, you can't really understand what's good about it, at least, and, and really, unless you start even on Thursday. Thursday, you know, some traditions call it Monday Thursday, and people are confused by that. That's the Last Supper, and the Monday part comes from the Latin, which means mandate there, because Christ gives us a new commandment that you're going to love one another. That was his commandment on that day. And I want us to think about that for a minute, because this is what animates the entire reverse the curse. Think about Jesus that night. So think about Thursday. It's the Last Supper. He goes into the room with his disciples And he knows he's going to be betrayed. He already knows. He knows it's Judas who's going to turn against him. He knows that he's been sold out for a handful of silver. He's been stabbed by the back by someone he's poured his life into. Yet in that room, hours before his death, what does he choose to do? Judas ate with them. Not only that, Jesus fed Judas. He prayed for Judas. He washed Judas' feet. He did that knowing what was going to happen. I don't know, it's difficult to even understand or comprehend that kind of love. But it's a love that's going to feed the mouth that deceives you. A a love that washes the treasonous feet of a traitor. And how could he do that? Because he does that for each and every one of us, because that's who we are also. He does that for all of us. I don't know about you, but I was pondering this. Have you ever thought what you would do if you knew you had one day left to live? What would you do? Jesus knew, and he chose to wash feet. Jesus knew, and he chose to honor his disciples. Jesus knew, and he washed the feet of the traitor. Do you want to know what was good about Good Friday? It's this. Because then he showed us all that death was dead, and spiritual death died that day, and physical death became not the end, but the passageway to life eternal. I want us to watch this clip right now. And as you watch this, watch this incredible progression where you see things reversed. If you guys would play that. Good Friday. How can one describe such a day? 
the wrongdoing of all humanity, putting to an end an innocent man, the Son of God. This is the story of Jesus' death by way of a cross, all in one moment bringing death to the bright light of our future. He never stopped loving us, and yet this is the incredible part of it. Our sin stopped his heart. Our sin drove the nails firmly in the hands of God. All along, these were the plans. We told ourselves that we were in control, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. The brutal beating, the inhuman flogging, the naked humiliation. Heaven watched and saw it all. Our rebellion, our guilt, our shame, erasing the very notion of reconciling us with God. Our sin and our debt overcoming Jesus. Here is our king, obliterated. The enemy laughing, his plans unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of freedom rising. Now God's people are utterly broken. Behold the chains of mortality. Yes, this is what is true. We had heard the stories of old. The lost are found, the blind can see, the weak are made strong. But now we are witnesses to this reality. God is dead. We'd almost believed there is a way of redemption. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a peace beyond understanding. Now we know better. For us, we can say that God is encapsulated in this one realization. The single greatest sacrifice in human history is finished. How clearly we can see it. So what's so good about Good Friday? Just one thing. That the blood of Jesus can reverse the curse of sin and raise the dead to life. How clearly we can see it is finished. The single greatest sacrifice in human history encapsulated in this one realization. We can say that God is for us. Now we know that there is a peace beyond understanding. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a way of redemption. We had almost believed God is dead, but now we are witnesses to this reality. The weak are made strong. The blind can see. The lost are found. We had heard the stories of old. Yes, this is what is true. The chains of mortality utterly broken. Behold, freedom rising. Now God's people are unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of the enemy laughing. His plans obliterated. Here is our King, Jesus, overcoming our sin and our debt, reconciling us with God, erasing the very notion of our rebellion, our guilt, our shame. Heaven watched and saw it all, the naked humiliation, the inhuman flogging, the brutal beating, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. We told ourselves that we were in control. All along, these were the plans firmly in the hands of God. Our sin drove the nails, our sin stopped his heart, and yet 
this is the incredible part of it. He never stopped loving us. The bright light of our future all in one moment, bringing death to death by way of a cross. This is the story of Jesus, the Son of God, an innocent man putting to an end the wrongdoing of all humanity. How can one describe such a day? Good Friday. It's amazing to think how that one event changes everything. And it reverses the curse of all of that. What looked so lost and dark and and horrible turned into the most incredible victory of all eternity. The hinge point of all history. It changed not only everything, it changed those disciples. Because I know you know the story, but before that they were fooled. They, they didn't know either. They were all scattered and afraid and, and hiding. But it changed everything when they saw the risen Lord. Jesus sends out, out those disciples and he sends us out as well. He sent them out with this. He said, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out the demons. Freely you have received, freely give. That reverse of the curse doesn't end there, but it goes on forever. And he commissioned them. And and the funny thing is, of course, what changed them? The fact that they believed it and saw it was real. And the fact that it was real changed everything for them. If you think about it, it changed those, those hiding afraid disciples into amazing evangelists. And it all makes sense if you think about it. When they traveled with Jesus, think about the wind streak he was on. Everywhere he went, he won. Every argument or conversation with the religious rulers, he won. He healed people. He raised the dead. He walked on water. He, he made bread out of, out of uh, he made bread. He fed everybody. Think about what he did. He controlled nature. He, he did everything. And yet, then they saw him being battered and tortured and disfigured and beaten. And then this, that change that they saw made them change everything. It made them willing to be tortured. It made them willing to preach until their deaths. There was no question in their minds. I don't know if you realize this, but every sermon in the New Testament that's preached by one of them is all about the resurrection. And they say things like this. You know it happened. You saw it too. They actually refer to hostile, unbelieving witnesses who were in the crowd who knew Jesus had risen. It would have been a simple thing for the, for the Jews or the Romans to produce the body of Christ, but they never could. The fact is, they knew it was real and it changed everything. They believed because they'd seen the risen Lord. Reversing the curse not only had something to do with that, but it made them motivated to tell everybody about it. It wasn't just for them. And it makes me wonder today, if we really believed it, how would it change us? I mean, how would it change our behavior from day to day? How would we live differently and do things differently? Because that whole thing about reversing the curse doesn't end with just Jesus. He gave us the mission then to continue to reverse that curse. That's why, as Christians, we should be motivated to, to, to look at our society and to change the things that we see that are wrong. We need to change the way we behave, behave and the way we treat one another. And going back to that Romans uh, verse in 8, 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies in the same Spirit living in you. I want you to shut your eyes with me for a minute. I just want you to ponder this. 
The spirit of the resurrecting father lives in you. He doesn't just visit you. He lives in you. He changes everything. And maybe you're sitting here today and maybe you're saying, well, um, I'm, I'm not that much different. You can be. You can be today. Maybe you're sitting here today and you think, I've been in church a long time, but I, you know, I, just, it just, I just go about the, the motions and I just do it. He can change that today. Maybe you're sitting here today and you think, but I've got all these other issues that are going on. You know what? He died to reverse those things too. The fact is he died to reverse all of those curses, every single one. So as you're sitting here with your eyes closed, I just want you to think about this for a second. Do you really believe? Does it change your life? Does it change the way you think and the way you act and the way you talk and the way you treat other people? Is it really different? Because if it is, then you should live like it's real. You should live every day celebrating this new life and the change that he brings. You should, you should live in victory over the sin and addiction that you have. Not only that, but then you should also tell everybody you can in every way you can. For some of us, it means the way you live and your lifestyle and the way you treat other people. For some of us, it means actually opening your mouth and saying things. For some of you, it means givings. For some of you, it means service. For some of you, it means words and actions. They need to line up. I'm going to ask you to do this today with your eyes closed. I know we have a lot of people in the room today, and I don't know every single person. If I haven't greeted you today, I apologize. I, I'm so glad you're here. If you're watching online, I don't know where you're at. and I don't know your heart's condition. But the beauty of this is, I don't have to. It's not about me knowing it or not knowing it. What it's about is if you will allow God to reverse the curse in you personally. If you've already done that today, that is awesome. But if you're here today and you have never allowed him to change your life, I wonder if you would do that today. I'm going to ask that question. Would you do that today? If you want him to come into you and make you different if you want him to be somebody that influences your decisions in your life, if you believe today and you want to start a life with him, I'm just going to ask you, would you please raise your hand and we will pray with you today. Anybody here like that? Anybody at all? I do see those hands and I appreciate your honesty there. We're going to do this as a group. We're going to pray for you in just a minute if you'd hold that thought. For the rest of us, I don't know about you, but as I watch that video clip, as I realize what Christ has done and how he has changed everything, I want that to change everything about me. With your head still bowed and your eyes closed, who joins me in that? Who else feels that today? You want to be completely different. Anybody else, raise your hand if that's you, because I want to pray for you too. All right, let's do this. Let's pray together. I want you to just, if you would, please repeat after me this prayer. This first prayer we're going to pray is just a prayer that's acknowledging that we've done things that are wrong, that, that we accept Christ's forgiveness, and he comes in our life and changes us. That's simple. It's just for those who raise their hands. But I want us to all repeat it so we have that, that sense of community in the room here today. So please repeat after me. Father God, sorry for the things I've done that were wrong. I want to be different. I accept your forgiveness. I want you to change me. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name. And let me just close in prayer for all the rest of us. Father God, I'm thankful that you have made this sacrifice for each and every one of us. God, I'm overwhelmed at the idea that you have reversed this curse on every one of us. And I ask now in the name of Jesus that you would send us out as people who are living that out in a daily way in every single way possible. 
every word that comes out of our mouth, every attitude that we have, every engagement that we have with people, God, that it would be animated by that truth that you are real, you have resurrected, and your life has changed literally everything. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me today? God bless you on this Easter morning. Thank you so much for joining us. As you leave today, my prayer is that you would live leave in the grace and the power of a risen Lord and share that with everybody you can. God bless you today. Thank you for being here.